0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the Book of Acts. Here is Pastor Nick.
1: book of Acts we are studying about the early days of Christianity and one of the reasons why this book is so exciting is because uh, we see that God did a great work at this time through ordinary people and I don't know about you but that stirs my heart because I'm an ordinary person and I think that if God can do great things through them at that time through ordinary people like them well then why couldn't he also do great things in our time through ordinary people like us But as we read through the book of Acts, there's also something that we must say. And that is this that not everything in the early church was perfect. It wasn't all just rosy and great. There were problems, just like there are in any church at any time. And here in Acts chapter 6, what we're going to see in this chapter is we're going to see that a problem arose in the church in the early days of Christianity which had the potential to split and divide and destroy the church. But the apostles, the leaders of the church, they responded quickly, they, deci- they responded wisely, and they responded decisively. And as a result, the church got stronger instead of weaker, and they continued to carry out that mission that Jesus had given them to change the world one life at a time by proclaiming the message of the gospel. So the title of today's message is Servant Leadership, and here's how we're going to break it down. First, we're going to look at church problems, then we're going to look at a wise response, and thirdly, we're going to look at how to change the world. Church problems, wise response, how to change the world. Let's begin. First of all, the first thing we're going to see is church problems, specifically in the area of internal strife. So please read me verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, up until this point in the book of Acts, what we've seen is that the challenges that the Christian church has faced have come mostly from the outside. Before his departure, Jesus commissioned his disciples, he commissioned them and sent them out to spread the message of hope and life through the gospel throughout the whole world and to make disciples of him. And from the moment they started doing that, they faced opposition, primarily from the local authorities. And over and over now, four times now, we've seen how the local authorities tried to stop the Christians from talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel. And they did that through intimidation and threats, even through physical beatings. But none of those things succeeded in deterring these Christians from this mission that God had given them. In fact, we read that the Christians even rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. Their attitude, their resolve, it's incredible, it's inspiring. But in some ways, those outward attacks on the church, they were easier to handle than what's about to come next. You see, because outward attacks, when you are a group of people and you're attacked from the outside by some outward entity— It often has the effect of strengthening the group, bolstering your resolve. You see, when people attack from the outside, it often causes people to bond together in a greater way, to double down because they're in this together, and if they suffer, they're suffering together for a great and worthy cause. But this next challenge is one which is actually much more insidious and actually has greater potential to derail the Christians from their mission, and that is the problem of internal strife amongst the Christians in the church. People not getting along, different groups being formed, people's feelings getting hurt, people becoming resentful, even embittered towards other people in the church. It's the old divide and conquer tactic, isn't it? Outward attacks have only served to strengthen the church, but now inward strife truly threatens to weaken, divide, and distract the church from the mission that Jesus gave them. So we read here in verse 1 that complaining arose in the church. Now, isn't that shocking? Who has ever heard of somebody complaining in church? Uh, Who's ever heard of such a thing? I only wish that there was something in this chapter that was relevant to us today. Now, of course, I'm joking. There are always complaints in church. I've been around church for a while, and if you have too, then you know what I'm talking about people complain somebody doesn't like the music the preacher talks too long the church is too big the church is too small there aren't enough people my age there are too many people my age and there's not enough diversity or you know the pastor's too good looking we've heard them all but it is isn't it refreshing to see here in the book of acts that in the early church they also had complaints it wasn't perfect they dealt with the same kind of issues that we deal with today Anytime you get a group of people together who are not yet perfected, and you tell them to live together and love each other and work together to accomplish great things for God's kingdom, there are going to be problems. You're going to face challenges. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be personality clashes. There are going to be differences of preference. So it doesn't surprise us at all that conflicts and divisions and disputes arise. That's what happens. The question for us though is, how are we going to deal with them when they do arise? Now these guys, as we'll see, they dealt with it wisely. Everybody involved deals with this so well in a way that honors God, unites the believers, and keeps them focused on their mission. You know, church problems, complaints, internal strife, these things are nothing new. They've been a part of the church ever since the church has existed. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 6. But I cannot tell you how many people I know who have reacted to these things by just tossing in the towel and saying, you know what, Uh, if this is what's going to be part of church, you know, disagreements, internal strife, well, then I'm just done with church, And they'll say stuff like, hey, I love Jesus, I'm down with the Bible, but church, no thanks. Don't need it, don't want it, I'm gonna go solo. But let me tell you this God loves church. You must have this perspective. And it is a perspective that comes from reading the word, by the way. God loves church, blemishes and all. The church is called the body of Christ says that Jesus is the head and the church is his body, his hands and his feet in the world. And so to love Jesus is not only to embrace the head but also to embrace the body. And let me tell you this also, Jesus loves church. Jesus established the church. Jesus is committed to the church so much so that he calls the church his bride. In other words, put it this way, Jesus loves church so much he wants to marry it. You know, you say, well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? Jesus says, I think I will. So in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, he had a vision of Jesus. And you know what where Jesus is at in that vision when, when John sees Jesus? He's walking amongst the churches. In other words, if you want to know where Jesus likes to hang out, here's where he likes to hang out. He likes to hang out around churches. His body, his bride, the gathering of disciples of Jesus in congregations, in communities that study together and serve together and worship together. You know, whenever I hear people talking down about church or minimizing the significance or importance or, or wonderfulness even of church, I have to say to those people, I'm pretty sure that Jesus does not share your sentiments. Uh, you know, that's his body you're talking about. That's his bride. Now, I have a bride. I have a wife, and I'll tell you this. She has some blemishes, and I know about them, but I'll tell you this also. I do love her, and I do not take kindly to it when other people talk negatively about her. And I believe that Jesus feels the same way about his bride. Jesus seems to think that church is pretty great. Jesus seems to think church is pretty important. In fact, Jesus loves church. And Think about this in the big picture of the book of Acts. What's this? the story of? Jesus establishes the church, Then Jesus grows the church. Then he speaks to the church and tells them to send out missionaries to do what? To go and preach the gospel and to start more churches. You see, uh, it's pretty clear that Jesus is really into church and therefore to have the heart of Jesus is to love and be committed to his body, which is the church. Clearly, church is not something that Jesus is just kind of indifferent about, that he could take it or leave it. Rather, it's something that he is absolutely passionate about. And I'll tell you this, me personally, I believe in church. I didn't grow up going to church. When I became a Christian, I started going to church, and I found it to be the most wonderful thing in the world. And I, I tell you this, I love church. I believe in church, and I think that you should too, because this is something that Jesus loves and Jesus cares about and something that he believes in. The New Testament knows nothing, nothing of Lone Ranger Christians who reject the church. Jesus is the one who set the whole system up, and he did it for a reason. You know, I spent a good chunk of my life as a missionary, and it was my conviction and the, and the conviction of the organization that I worked with, you know, we were a church planting mission. And, and the mission work, Our conviction was that mission work and evangelism are incomplete unless they are connected to a local church. Because the church is the entity that God has created for believers to grow for them to be equipped, for them to worship together, and for them to work together for God's mission. That's why when we do missions here at Whitefields, you'll notice that we always do missions in conjunction with local churches. We wanna support them, we wanna strengthen them. We who have resources want to share our resources with other parts of the body who have less resources. And when we do evangelism, we always wanna plug those people into good local churches where they can grow and be disciples of Jesus. With my children, my hope and and my desire is that my children would grow up to love Jesus and to love his church, that they would view church as a wonderful place where people love each other, and they forgive each other, and they work through things as a family, and they worship Jesus together, and they attempt to do great things for God together, and I want to encourage you, love the church, teach your children to love the church. And this church, Whitefields, may I just say this? Let's build this church together. Let's build it together. Let's be a true community of people who are seeking God. And when problems come up, we don't just take our ball and go home and huff off, but let's be people who work through things as family together. Let's be people who work together to do great things for God's glory and for the benefit of people. Jesus loves church. He's committed to church. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to share the same heart, for the church the church is a redemptive community the church is a mission outpost in the world it's wonderful Jesus loves it and we should too so we see that they were committed to the church even though there were complaints we're going to see that these people were committed to the church they believed in it and they worked through it
0: you've been listening to a message by pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont Colorado we'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment we are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: That These people were committed to the church. They believed in it, and they worked through it. We read in verse 1 that a complaint arose from who? The Hellenists against the Hebrews that their widows were not receiving equal treatment in the daily distribution. So in that day, in that society, in Jewish society, you had two distinct groups of people. You had the Hebrews and the Hellenists. The Hebrews were old school, right? They were the Jews. They embraced the Jewish culture. They dress the Jewish way. They keep all the traditions. They speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They're old school. On the other hand, You've got the Hellenists, and they're kind of the new school, right? They're they're also Jews, but they embrace Greek culture. They speak the Greek language as their first language. And these two groups of people generally did not get along, not not just in the church, but they didn't get along in society in general. The Hebrews looked down on the Hellenists. They considered them to be compromisers and sellouts uh, to Greek culture and Greek language. And the Hellenists looked down on the Hebrews, and they thought that they were just kind of fuddy-duddy, stick-in-the-mud, like, check the count. Calendar, man, you're still acting like it's two thousand years ago. So they were all Christians, and they were all Jewish. There was nobody at this time who was a Christian who was not Jewish. So some were Greek-speaking Jews, others were Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews. And in a place like Jerusalem, which is where the Christian church is, is headquartered right now, the majority of people would have been Hebrews, meaning that the Hellenists would have been in the minority in a place like Jerusalem. And so what this means is that we have a minority group in the church who feels that they are being discriminated against. They said they were being neglected in the daily distribution. And what that is, a daily distribution is charitable assistance which the church gave to provide for these widows. Now, one of the major themes of the Old Testament particularly the prophetic books and even more particularly the minor prophets is that God considers it very important. In fact, he considers it imperative that his people care about protecting and providing for the most vulnerable members of society. And there are four groups of people in particular who are listed in the Old Testament prophetic books and given special mention as the most vulnerable people in society. And here's what they are. Widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. And this is why Christians historically have made it a priority to focus on ministering to these groups of people, and rightly so, because the plight of these people is very dear and very much on the heart of God. In modern times, Western society, which by the way, has been influenced greatly by Judeo-Christian morals, which come from the Bible— Western society, more modern times, has made great efforts to provide for and protect these groups of people on the state level. But back at that time, to be a widow was a scary thing. It was really scary because there was no safety net to catch you if you were on hard times or if you didn't have someone to take care of you. There was no social security. You were totally dependent on your children to care for you and and take, you know, care for all your needs, and if you had no children, then you were really in trouble because then you would be at the mercy of other people to provide for you. That is, if anyone was willing to do that, and there was no guarantee that anyone would be willing to do that for you. So in the Jewish culture, it was the responsibility of the believing community to take care of these groups of people, and in this case, particularly widows. And they would do that by feeding them and giving them financial assistance. That's what the daily distribution refers to here in verse 1. And it would seem that the Jewish authorities had started to refuse to give financial aid to widows who had become Christians. They had cut them off. They said, if you're going to be Christians, if you're going to follow Jesus, then go for it, but you're not getting any more financial aid from us. And so the Christians, we see that they began providing financial aid for the widows in the church. So we see, again, that's interesting because we now begin to see the increasing separation between Christianity and Judaism. The Hellenist widows felt that they were being overlooked in the distribution, that they were being discriminated against. Now, we don't know if this was just a mistake or a misunderstanding or if, in fact, discrimination was taking place. But either way, the issue is still the same. Some people's feelings got hurt. Some people felt that they were being treated unfairly. There was internal strife and the formation of two distinct groups which didn't like each other. This provided the perfect setting for a church split. Or for some people to get embittered against the church and just leave. All of which would have weakened the church and distracted them from their calling and their mission. But take a look at the wise response from the apostles. This brings us to our next point. A wise response, priorities, and discipleship. Let's read from verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's, what the, here's how the apostles dealt with this problem. They gathered the church together and they addressed the problem openly. There was a lot of good communication going on. And they explained to the people, they said, okay, we see that this is a legitimate issue, but here's the deal. It would not be right for us to neglect our calling as apostles to prayer and the teaching of the word in order to administer to the practical needs of these widows. Now, let me say this. Some people look at this and there's a question, right? Now, was this a good thing for them to say? Or was this a bad thing? Some people look at it and they say, well, this response of the apostles is totally wrong. Because hey, why can't they just serve some tables? Like why can't they just feed some poor old ladies? What are they supposed to do? Just sit in their ivory tower all day long, reading the Bible and praying all day? Do these guys think that they're too good for this? They're too important to get to soil their hands with this kind of lowly work of serving old women food? Why can't they just do it? I don't personally take that approach. I don't think that that's the issue here. Rather, here's what I think. I think this is an issue of priorities. The apostles had been given a calling. They had a particular role to play in the body. And in order to do that well, they needed to devote significant time to studying and praying and preparing. And I know a lot of pastors, you know, and I've I seen pastors who are everywhere on this spectrum. I've seen pastors who do everything in their church. Sometimes, in addition to doing everything at the church, they also work a part-time job and they just do everything, right? Like if you call the church on the phone, the pastor answers the phone. The pastor manages the website. The pastor sets up the church. Sometimes the pastor leads worship. Sometimes that's done out of necessity. But as a general rule, I think that the apostles were showing a lot of wisdom here by recognizing and protecting their priorities. Why take away from their calling to lead and study and pray and teach when there are other people who could easily step in and do these administrative practical tasks? Why should the apostles be expected to do everything in the church? Yet I would say this, on the other hand, I agree that there's something wrong with a pastor who thinks that certain tasks are beneath him. You could put it this way. There's something wrong if a system is set up so that the pastor has to serve tables. But there's also something wrong if the pastor considers himself above serving tables. Now when we talk about serving tables, it's also important that I mention that we're probably not talking about only, you know, just being basically a waiter and setting the food in front of people, picking it up, cleaning the dishes, wiping the tables down. There was probably a lot more involved in this. It probably included handling the money that would go towards this program. It it probably included making schedules, getting stuff done, you know, managing volunteers. There was significant administrative and practical duties involved here. Now it's significant in verse 4 that we read that the apostles dedicated themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was, in other words, something that they worked very hard at doing. It was work, and they worked at it hard. In order to do it well, they wanted to be fully dedicated to it. So this wasn't them just trying to slough off this kind of lowly work, but this was them saying, look, we are wanting to dedicate our time completely to doing a good job at our calling. Not only did the apostles wisely choose to recognize and protect their priorities, but they also saw this as a wonderful opportunity, an opportunity for discipleship. They said, surely there must be some people in the church who are godly and who are gifted, and this might be just the perfect opportunity for those people to step up and get involved in serving in the church in a greater capacity. The apostles responded to the problem wisely and lovingly. I love the fact that they invited the people who felt they had been wronged to be part of the solution. Think about what they didn't do. They didn't say, hey, if you're complaining, then there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. If you don't like it, then get lost. You know, and you might laugh at that, but I was talking to someone just over the past couple of weeks, and they were talking about people in their church who are, you know, that have complaints, and that was their response. Hey, if you don't like it, go away. Now, I don't think that that's the most loving response, because in here, in this instance, they actually listened to their complaints, and they considered, is this a legitimate complaint or not? And in this particular case, they found that, the, that it was actually a legitimate need that was being uh, arisen. And they worked together with these people to come to a solution that would be good for everybody. I think that's great. Another thing they didn't do is they didn't say, well, let's just create two churches, right? We'll have the first apostolic church of the Hellenists and the first apostolic church of the Hebrews. You guys can do your thing. You guys do your thing and we'll all be good. No, they didn't do that. They wanted to be unified. Another thing they didn't say is they didn't say, well, let's just create a committee and we can just discuss it to death until we all hate it. Instead, what they said was, this is a great opportunity for us to bring more people into leadership. We've identified an unmet need, and rather than having us stretch ourselves even more than we already are, this is a great opportunity to get people involved in God's work. There might be some people out there who have great character and great potential to lead, and this might be just the opportunity for us to train them and raise them up to be leaders. And so the apostles saw this as a great opportunity for discipleship, to bring more people into the work of ministry in the church and to give more people the privilege of serving God because that's exactly what it is. Go on to now our third and final point, and that is this. How to change the world, service and faithfulness. How to change the world. Verse 5, What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. Stephen. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. Now, these men are interesting. If you look at the men who are listed here, the seven, several of them went on to become pastors and missionaries and evangelists in their own right. Stephen, we read, was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit.
0: You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick,